0: Welcome to Reinventing Professionals, a podcast hosted by industry analyst Ari Kaplan, which shares ideas, guidance, and perspectives from market leaders shaping the next generation of legal and professional services.
1: This is Ari Kaplan, and I'm speaking today with David Perla, the co-chief operating officer at Burford Capital, a leading provider of legal finance. Hi, David. How are you?
0: All right. I'm great. Thanks
1: for having me. It's a privilege, David. So tell us about your background and your role at Burford Capital.
0: I am the co-chief operating officer at Burford. And along with my business partner, Eva Will, we oversee what we think of as the front end of Burford's business. That includes our origination, underwriting case management functions, our uh, marketing and go to market functions and our global policy efforts along with that I also charged with overseeing our innovation initiatives which most notably in- includes unsurprisingly efforts at uh, utilizing and enhancing our efforts around artificial intelligence by way of background I started like most people at Burford as a lawyer and After 10 years of practice, both at the law firm and in house, I went into the business side of law and co founded a business called Pangea 3, which outsourced US and European legal work to India. So I have an expertise in both law and innovating and building businesses where law is the core of the business, but the business itself is not in providing legal services. It's either enabling for law, or law is a core part of, a in the case of Burford in what we invest in and what we help.
1: Over the past five years during your tenure at the firm, how has the impression of legal finance evolved?
0: The impression of finance has, has really evolved in two ways. Number one, it's gone from a, a niche offering and a discussion around it being a niche offering for either clients that were suffering from fee fatigue or law firms that simply wouldn't or couldn't offer contingent work and therefore needed a partner in, in, in the capital world to being somewhat much more mainstream and much more part of the conversation in the broader legal market. And, and in this instance, I'm talking about commercial legal finance as opposed to consumer legal finance, which is very different. All, all that we do is is finance law firms and corporations for claims that are, are what we think of as business-to-business type of claims, uh, as opposed to financing consumers, which, which brings other issues and, and other dynamics at play. The other area in which the impression of legal finance has evolved and really matured is the degree to which it engenders some level of controversy or concern that's really dissipated and legal finance has been embraced, not just in the US, but all over the world. We we have a large team uh, in Europe, we have people all over Asia and Australasia, and obviously our, our foundations here in the United States, although we are listed both in New York and in London. So I think the the idea that uh, legal finance is now, both more mainstream and significantly less controversial or contentious than it was, is now widely accepted.
1: And are there business factors that are making legal finance more appealing? A few
0: things really create an environment where today, in particular, legal finance is being embraced and being utilized. We think of it as corporate finance for law. In some ways, it's I use the phrase uncontroversial. We might even say at its core, it's by design somewhat boring. It is just finance. It's a way of using someone's capital to to enhance the business of a third party. I think there's just a few factors. So number one is simply awareness. We're now nearly a decade and a half old, and we are listed on the New York Stock Exchange and the London Stock Exchange. The mere duration that the industry has been around the fact that it's gotten so much publicity, mostly good, but some contentious, has led to people in the legal market, and in the finance market, and the capital markets, becoming more aware and learning more. I think there are two other areas that have really led to people embracing legal finance and to the appeal of legal finance. One is what we think of as the Jack Welch phenomenon, the idea that you should make some, you should make What's not your core business, someone else's core business. So, for most corporations, litigating is not their business. It's not what they're going to do well. Law firms do it well, they do it very well. But corporations, whether they're defending a lawsuit or they have a claim, they've been harmed, even when they've been harmed, their business is their business. Their business is not litigating the redress of a corporate wrong or a corporate harm. And so the idea that they're able to come to someone like Burford, not merely to provide the capital, but to help them understand their claims, to help them quantify their claims, help them understand the duration, help them be a partner, just the same way we think of our bankers as our partners, or we think of our financial advisors, that doesn't mean they control our finances any more than Burford controls the claims. We do not, but we are a partner hand in glove with our corporate clients to help them in their litigations and as they pursue redress for wrongdoing. The third area, and this is more recent, which finance has become more appealing, is the cost of capital. We're in an environment where interest rates are significantly higher than they were even a year ago, certainly 15 to 18 months ago. And for the average corporation, when you look at an opportunity to finance the obtaining of redress for a corporate wrongdoing, the way to finance a lawsuit, or to monetize a claim on award, to use your litigation assets in order to create liquidity and to increase cash flow, I think the environment is one in which most CFOs are now saying, we ought to look at this simply because relative to, to the cost of capital for corporations, it's, a, it's quite an efficient way to think about an asset that even five years ago, I don't think CFOs were thinking about litigation finance as true corporate finance. Today, almost all of them are.
1: You were at the forefront of a new sector in legal almost 20 years ago when you co-founded Pangea 3. Do you see parallels to legal finance?
0: I do. There are a lot of parallels and they're not intuitive. So the first parallel, as I think about a question like that is both industries were created by demand, neither Burford nor Pangea 3. So legal finance and, and legal outsourcing, neither industry came about because people sat down and said, I want to be a disruptor. Chris Bovert and John Malo did not sit down and say, I want to disrupt the market. They sat down because there was demand. They were getting approached by parties that needed financing for lawsuits. Just as Sanjay and I sat down with Pangea 3, we were both in house and we had a problem how to get work done in a more efficient manner when the only choices at the time were law firms or hiring in house staff. Demand is parallel number one. From there, in both cases, the early growth really happened behind the scenes. The industries grew in a kind of a quiet, almost private way what I'll call organic growth. From there, as the market started understanding this, and the legal market likes a story, so it's a little bit of an inside baseball market. As big as it is, there's an inside baseball quality for the legal market. That engendered opposition from what I call proponents of the status quo. So there, in both cases, there were entrenched interests that were threatened by a change to the status quo and the easiest example I can give with uh, legal finance, putting aside the traditional opponents, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, the Institute for Legal Reform, the people who normally are opposed to litigation generally because they're off on the defense side. Another interesting, what I'll call proponent of the status quo is the ABA. So the ABA Innovation Committee, just there's a lot of controversy over this and, and law firm equity and law firm ownership. The EBA, because it represents a lot of smaller law firms, has really taken the side of the status quo, for better or worse. Burford doesn't have a vested interest in, in what the EBA does. Most big firms don't care. But it, it's really landing on the side of standing for the status quo and not for change. And that's what's, those are the forces that have largely generated opposition and generated publicity for newer industries within the legal market. From there, two things happened with both outsourcing and legal finance. The an uh, ultimate thing that happened was the mainstreaming of those. And I think we're seeing that today with legal finance. It's behind outsourcing in that it is now mainstream, but not in that fifth stage, which is what I'll call ubiquity. Today, very hard to write an article about legal outsourcing that people would care about. Other than one that might be descriptive, it's not controversial, it's ubiquitous. Law firms, a lot of them have their own captive ALSP units and there are many alternative legal service providers around the world of all size and shape. Some are tech-driven, some are people-driven. Legal finance is not quite there because it, it came later, it started later, but we are clearly in the mainstream phase where People accept it. They understand it's here to stay, but not every corporation has yet figured out how to embrace legal finance. They haven't figured out how it fits in with what they're trying to do with their legal budgets in the case of corporations. But we're closing in on that ambiguity.
1: I was fortunate to work with Burford Capital in recent research of how the economy is affecting the way corporate counsel view opportunities in affirmative legation. What were your key takeaways from that new report?
0: we're grateful as always to work with you and really delighted that you're able to have these conversations with with in-house lawyers in in an objective and thoughtful way as as you have been for the years you've been doing this. I think the first area, and this isn't surprising, is that economic pressures impact how in-house counsel manage their costs and their partners. The interesting part for us was that in-house lawyers prefer cost-sharing solutions over cost-elimination solutions. And if you look, more than a majority of them say that they will seek out cost-sharing with their counsel, including legal finance providers, to mitigate the impact of what is today a very challenging and unpredictable economic environment. The other thing that was interesting is while many say that they are likely to implement what we think of as as cost-saving measures, the majority and the preference of in-house lawyers is to shift costs as opposed to eliminate those costs. So they really are looking for ways to have someone else take on costs or take on risk, whether that's a legal finance provider or a contingency relationship, as opposed to trying to eliminate it, whether that's in the form of layoffs or simply doing less you're seeing them talk about ways to move the cost and risk as opposed to eliminate it. A couple of other areas that really stuck out for us from the work you did on our behalf, one that's been around for a long time, I gave, I gave a talk on this in 2019, is that unenforced awards and judgments remain a, a large problem for businesses. And it's, high, it's really highlighted in the current environment. So nearly zero So 2% of in-house counsel said that they recover 100% of the value of their judgments and awards. So these aren't claims. These are, they've, they've already litigated or arbitrated. They've won, yet, they, yet almost none of them collect 100 cents in the dollar. That's a, very, that's a very telling statistic, which we try to tell clients. The winning an award doesn't mean you get paid. A majority of them say that their debtors pay the outstanding judgments less than half the time. So in other words, they're winning cases and not getting paid. And the consequence of that is is a mass amount of lost business. And so we're seeing them come to us for help in either monetizing those claims and awards or enforcing those claims and awards. And those are both core parts of our business. The second area relates to that, which is that enforceability is a medium. And unsurprisingly, the lawyers listening or reading this, the top... Perceived barriers to enforcement are, obviously, cost, but also jurisdiction. Lawyers in-house are now thinking about how does their strategy for arbitrating and litigating account for the fact that they're going to have to enforce. And they do that as early as determining whether or not they're going to pursue claims. The other area that we thought was interesting, and this gets into our ability to help monetize, is that immediate liquidity Cash now is an incredibly important benefit for in-house lawyers. So our ability to fund the enforcement and recovery becomes very important. As I talk, the terms I'm using, balance sheet, actually financial terms, but the fact that GCs and heads of litigation, heads of recovery using these terms really indicates the migration of the legal department into a financial way of thinking about litigation and, indeed, a way of thinking about the legal department in the main.
1: Burford Capital recently funded longstanding claims against the government of Argentina. What aspects of that victory stood out?
0: Peterson case against Argentina, it was a remarkable victory. A few things stand out to us uh, as an organization. One is the sheer quality of the team that litigated this on our behalf. Uh, o- over the last eight years, and, and you may know, three of the counsel that work with us on work with us on this were awarded litigators of the week in a, in a field in which there are some pretty impressive litigators. So it it is reinforcement for what we often say, which is number one thing in our business is it, it has to be a high merit claim. Right? Maybe we can talk about that, but also you need the right team for the claim, not just any lawyer can litigate a given claim. So we we really took care to put together the right team at all phases of the case and to augment that team. Also unique to this particular matter, because in this case, we did control the litigation here, because we, we didn't own the claim, but we purchased the right to pursue it out of a Spanish bankruptcy with a portion of the proceeds coming to Burford and and a portion of the proceeds going to our client. The law firms represented that client. But what was unique to this was because of that, we needed an internal team. And nearly every part of Burford's business got involved in this because of the degree to which Argentina and YPF opposed this. And notwithstanding that we thought this was an obvious case. We thought it had obvious merit. It took eight years to get where we got. Two, two other things that I think are worth mentioning that really made this stand out. Number one is the duration. This case has been going on eight years, and, and most viewers would ask themselves why. And the short answer is that YPF and Argentina opposed every element of this case, including whether or not it should be litigated in U.S. courts, notwithstanding that they went public here in the United States and there was clear jurisdiction that was taken all the way through the federal court system and ultimately SCOTUS denied cert years ago. And then then we first started on the trial. And so this is eight years and we first have a judgment only in September, 2023. We've yet to be done enforcement of that judgment. The second element that really stands out is this was a complete victory. Which you very rarely see. We won against the Republic of Argentina a complete victory. And in the damages trial, the award was a complete victory for our client's side. If you read the judge's decision and you read the judgment that was entered, it's actually the highest amount of money that we asked for. And that's rare that it happens. So, what it tells you is even where you're right and you're, you're confident you're right, that it takes a very long time. And it takes a very good team of people on a very strong strategy to actually get a judgment. And it will take still longer to enforce that judgment.
1: How important was the judge's specific acknowledgement of Burford's support of its clients in the decision to your team's communication with additional prospects and clients?
0: So the judge's acknowledgement was critical in two ways. First, he noted not in so many words what I mentioned earlier about litigation finance being simply corporate finance for law. And in one of her footnotes, she acknowledges that the presence of Burford and the fact that Burford helped finance the claims on behalf of the shareholders who've been wrong was actually a reason to give those shareholders the full measure of their damages, which is to say it really is just corporate finance and there's nothing controversial about what Burford is doing. We thought of that footnote as saying, because Burford was needed for this eight-year fight, and because in the case of Peterson, they were driven to bankruptcy and trying to pursue these claims, all the more so they should be entitled to their damages, that they needed this capital as corporate finance. The, I think the acknowledgement by the judge served another purpose that we thought was important to communicate. To our, our clients in two respects. One, it really highlighted the need for the right partner. This dispute has been going on that for eight nice. years. And the second reason that Judge Prescott's acknowledgement was so important gets at a couple of things that we talk to our clients about all the time. The first is choosing the right partner. It was vital to Peterson and to Eaton Park that they had chosen a partner that could go the distance, both in terms of the capital we were able to provide and in terms of the expertise all along the way. So Burford never fatigued at this battle. Burford never wavered in our financial commitment. That's really important. And and the footnote highlighted that Argentina opposed every single element of this claim at every turn with every means at the disposal of a sovereign. And so when you're choosing a partner, as a client that's been wrong, it's really important to choose a partner that that has the expertise and the capital to go the distance. The other thing that we thought was so important about the acknowledgement is more of a policy commentary. If you read what Judge Preska said, she really gets at the idea of disclosure and control. And if you look at what some of our counsel said in their Litigator of the Week comments, the opposition to what litigation finance does and the flagging of litigation finance has nothing to do with disclosure and control. We were always disclosed in this case, and it was understood and agreed to that we were directing the litigation. Yet, even with those two issues out of the way, those two threshold policy issues that are usually what our opponents argue they're talking about in terms of policy, Argentina still tried to insert Burford into the case and to make Burford's presence a reason why, in the first instance, Argentina should win. And having failed to persuade the court that Argentina should win, they still tried to insert Burford's presence as a reason as to why Argentina should not have to pay the full measure of its damages. So, it really highlighted for someone who understands how to read the opinions and to parse through them that when our opponents flag some of these policy issues, they're disingenuous. And what they're really trying to say is we're opposed to the litigation in which Burford or a peer finance company is helping a corporate party redress a wrong. And even when the policy issues are solved, we're going to try and use litigation finance as a reason why a harmed party shouldn't be whole And the judge wasn't having it. And she made it very clear that she wasn't having it.
1: How does your success in this matter highlight the manner in which Burford evaluates the cases in which it invests?
0: I think there are a few ways. Number one, merit matters. There is a false narrative out in the marketplace that some types of legal finance increase frivolous or low-merit litigation, and nothing could be further from the truth. What this highlights is in, in the biggest case in the history of the industry, indeed, we believe it to be the largest judgment ever rendered in a federal court, we won on every single issue against the Republic of Argentina. So when we analyze a case, the first thing we look at is, are the merits good? So any idea that we're fostering anything but the highest merit claims is false. In fact, we think of ourselves as a weeding mechanism right, or a filtering mechanism for funding only the highest merit claims. The other area in which we think about it is a provider like Burford is suited best where a matter is extremely complicated. Now when you read the opinions here, the judge, to her credit, did a very good job of finding the simplicity in a very complicated case, but litigation is inherently complex. And when we analyze a case, we think about that complexity and we think about all the ways in which a counterparty can defend it. We think about all the ways in which it can go wrong and what are the affirmative defenses and what are the what are the time frames and how might this go wrong? And we help our clients with that. Whether or not we control the litigation, we offer that service in terms of understanding that complexity. And so I, I think when we look back at this case, it really took an understanding of how complicated it would be and how long it would go for us not only to take this case, but to figure out how to value it. And then we bought this in an auction to be the highest bidder required us to understand it.
1: How do you see the use of legal finance evolving?
0: Much like any other area of law that is characterized as disruptive, I don't think we think of ourselves that way. We think of ourselves as an enabler and we think of ourselves as a Core part of helping heads of litigation and GCs and the law firms that serves them, that serve them do their job, I think legal finance is going to move into ubiquity, where in any case that is complex and any case that is expensive, CFOs and GCs and heads of litigation are going to ask the threshold question. Should we be looking at and should we be obtaining finance for this? Should we at least see what it would entail to finance this claim or this judgment or this award or this portfolio? And I think for law firms, whether or not they are taking the case on a contingency basis or an hourly basis, they are going to think about whether they should be financing this in the case of contingency or suggesting financing or recommending the consideration of financing if they're taking on an hourly basis so that their client understands that this is an option, especially for the complicated case, the long running case, the highly merit case, this is going to be a real option for them going forward.
1: This is Ari Kaplan speaking with David Perla, the Co-Chief Operating Officer at Burford Capital, a leading provider of legal finance. David, as always, it's been a privilege. Thank you so very much. It's been
0: a privilege on my end, Ari. Thanks, as always. Thank you for listening to the Reinventing Professionals podcast. Visit ReinventingProfessionals.com or AriKaplanAdvisors.com to learn more.